Hello and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and we're on to the second episode of 2020. How are we all feeling? If you didn't tune in last week, I put together a, a 20 experiments for 2020. So I hope that you go check it out. You can find that at stresslessladies.com forward slash 2020. You actually have to spell out 20, uh, 2020 in letters. Uh, don't ask me why WordPress is having some issues. And I am not a tech genius. So I was like, Do you know what? I am not going to stress over this because that would be counter to all the things I talk about. Okay. Now, Today on the podcast, we are kicking off our first interview of 2020 strong. Uh, So we are joined today by Carrie Dahl, who is a professional MC, moderator, speaker, and executive public speaking coach. She was a television journalist for over 20 years, and her first love was always and continues to be the interview. She is fiercely dedicated to connecting people through stories well told. She's the chair of the Stollery Women's Network and advocacy and fundraising group supporting children's health care. She sits on the board of John Cameron Changing Lives Foundation that supports mental health initiatives, which you know we are a fan of over here at the podcast. So she was also honored as one of the top citizens in the province of Alberta. She is married to entrepreneur Stephen Petaskey, who founded and owns the Luxus Group, and Carrie is also a proud mother of Kasha and Allegra. Here's the thing for me. I feel like I've been watching interviews for as long as I can remember. Oprah, Katie Couric, Barbara Walters... There is such huge power in the kind of questions that you can ask that lead to people sharing very vulnerable stories. And Carrie is so beyond skilled in the art of the interview. So I actually first discovered Carrie through her podcast, The Inner Circle, and her skill in interviewing just blows me away. She actually had me on her podcast, so I'll link to that in today's show notes if you want to check out that episode. Carrie brings strong individuals to the mic to share their journeys as entrepreneurs with their health struggles, uh, nonprofits that they work for, and so much more. She holds this space for them to open up about some of their hardest moments in life in the hopes that their story helps to support others. Carrie has not been without her own struggles in life. We actually talk about how she struggled with motherhood and balancing the demanding role of being an evening news co-anchor. I could totally relate with my own postpartum journey. We talk about the incredible challenge that 2017 was for her. During that year, she lost her mother, had a partial hysterectomy, and lost her thumb in a boating accident. We discuss her journey to recovering from PTSD of everything that happened in her life during 2017, the strength that comes in seeking help, and recognizing yourself in the stories of others. We talk about so many things, but this is really sort of the highlights. This is such a powerful episode. I hope you listen right to the end um, and connect with me over on Instagram at stresslessladies to let me know what you think. Uh, you can also find Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Doll Consulting. All the links for uh, where to find Carrie, everything is in today's show notes, which are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash one four zero. The number is one four zero. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. And this particular episode is brought to you by the TELUS World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. So we've talked about this before, but their exhibition runs until February 17th. You've got like six weeks left. 
Uh, it runs up in Edmonton. It features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, interactive elements that really just brings the Marvel universe to life. So if it's some, if you enjoy the Marvel movies, like this will be such an incredible experience for you. They, uh, you can travel through the mysterious mirror dimension of Doctor Strange. You can digitally transform into Iron Man. Iron Man. I have friends that did this uh, with their kid, and then like the. It's just hilarious with the pictures that they got. You can pose for selfies with Black Panther, Spider-Man, and other iconic Marvel characters. They have such incredible stuff on display, and it's very interactive, so I'd really encourage you to check it out. Now, you can buy your own tickets today at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. And if you're coming from outside of Edmonton, there is a hotel deal on the website, so check that out. So this is the only place in Canada right now where you can see this exhibition. And like I said, it runs till February 17th. So check it out at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. Now, as we've mentioned before, the Alberta Podcast Network has so many incredible podcasts in its roster. So I'm going to share a little promo from one of them directly. It's called Emily Missed Out. Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Brienne, and together we make Emily Missed Out, a podcast where Emily and I dig into the long list of films that she hasn't seen yet. It's a very long list. Totally long list. And help her catch up on all of the pop-culturally relevant lines, characters, scenes, and tropes that she may have missed out on. We're also a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can find us online at albertapodcastnetwork.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Join us for my pop culture education. Yeah. So if you haven't uh, checked out Emily Missed Out, I highly recommend you do that. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Carrie. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you. It's a pleasure to be invited. I look forward to our conversation, Victoria. So I discovered you through your podcast, The Inner Circle, mm -hmm. and your very first episode is you sharing your story or as much as one can share their story in an <laughs> hour. And I have, I have to start from the beginning. You were one of 10 children. I know a lot of people pick up on that because it's just so different in this day and age to hear about a family with that many kids. But yes, I was the baby of 10, all from the same mom and dad. And it was my normal to grow up in a busy, crazy household. But I know that for people listening, it might be like, what? It's not yeah. a blended family. How did that work? It sounds nuts. And you said there's 20 years between you and your oldest brother? There is, yes. So the top three, my top three brothers and sisters had actually left home by the time I was born. Oh, wow. So over the years, I've gotten to know them. But the top three, like my top two brothers were 10 months apart. Then my sister came along 11 months later. So my mom had three under the age of three. And then it just kind of filtered down a year, a year, a year, two years until it got to my brother closest to me. And he's five years older than me. And I count my blessings every day for that because... Uh, when he was uh, when I was in grade eight he left home and so I was like an only child and I finally for the first time in my life had my mom and dad's attention exclusively from grade eight until I left home after I graduated and that was really cool when you never got any of that growing up and you'll be the only one to have had that experience because your brother would have been too young to know to you're right. Yeah. And my brothers and sisters do say to me often that how fortunate I was to have yeah. that one-on-one -on -one time with dad and that I was mom and dad. I was raised differently and I was, yeah. I, I fully recognize that. Yeah. 
I think you can't help but raise children differently based on when they come around, your skills yeah. as a parent, your comfortable your comfort with being a parent, like it, it Absolutely. happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when y- you talk about um, having had this this talent and this draw for public speaking from a young yeah. age, how did that yeah. show up? When did you first notice it? I got used to an age at a uh, stage rather at a very young age. I was three years old. My first recollection of ever being on a stage. My dad played in a band and I had hundreds of cousins because all of my mom's brothers and sisters had large families as well and so in the summer we would just go from wedding to wedding and my dad oh my would play and then he would bring me up on the stage and make me sing blue suede shoes so for me to stand on I remember a little stool to reach the mic I, to look out to a crowd of 500 was nothing to me that was yeah. my normal I did it every single weekend and I started when I like I said three years old and I just continued on and that was so used to being on a stage that I did not know that people got nervous talking in front of large crowds. I had no idea because it never, ever happened to me. Never. Because you talk to people about if they have to make a presentation or a speech Mm -hmm. and people visibly just start to tense up and sweat at the idea Mm -hmm. of it. So it is really a a magnificent skill and a talent to have. I recognize that now. I didn't know it back then. I talk about in my podcast is I was uh, went into a lot of public speaking competitions and I would win all of them that I went into, but I didn't understand why because I didn't know that people got nervous. And I reflect back to when I was in grade six and one of the girls was preparing to go on and she was pacing. And I thought that was kind of odd. And then I went and talked to her and I said, are you okay? And she said, I think I'm going to throw up. And I said, why? Do you have the flu? And she goes, no, I'm so nervous. And I said, what are you nervous about? Like, there was just no connection in my mind. Like those synapses did not fire that way in my brain. It was like, yay, I have a speech to give. Let's go out there. Let's see the kind of impact I can have. And I was always excited. I looked forward to the challenge. And so that's what led you to television? Down the road, yes, but it was a a bit of an interesting path to get there. So I did go to the University of Calgary and my first year, I thought I wanted to go into psychology. I was always interested in it. And I took one psychology course and with all due respect to the profession, uh, I was just bored to tears and I, I couldn't latch on to anything. So the first year I took everything from anthropology to phys ed and I still couldn't find what I was looking for. In the summer, I did some soul searching and I isolated three variables that were important to me. Number one, it had to embody my talents and my abilities. And I was always a strong reader, a strong writer, and a great public speaker. The next thing I knew about myself is I need a new challenge every day because I get bored like that. And so I, that was the next variable. And the third thing I was knew about myself being raised in a you know a family of 10 and playing team sports as I had to be part of a team if you make me work alone I just get bored and I'm unfocused but you put me in as part of a team and I thrive I plugged in the variables and broadcasting or journalism came up like a giant flashing neon sign and I'm like that's it that's what I got to do So yeah, I did a communications degree at the U of C and then I did my uh, diploma in broadcast news at SAIT. And the the part of you trying, like figuring out where you were going to go in terms, you talk about this road trip to all these stations and pitching yourself. (laughs) That's a skill that I think so many people need to be able to, to sell themselves and to pitch themselves. 
what was your kind of approach to that? Because I think a lot of women would feel like, I can't talk about my successes. How, how do you tell them to talk about themselves? It wasn't about talking about successes. It was about making personal connections. Yeah. And it was about attaching a personality to the name and the face of Carrie Dahl. I can yeah. send out a million resumes. I can send out hundreds of videos. But in order for us to connect, we have to be face-to-face. Okay, I get it in today's day and age technology. There are Zoom calls. There is FaceTime. But it's still not the same as being in a newsroom or in the same room as someone and shaking their hand or giving them a hug and say, it's a pleasure to meet you. Can I hang out with you today? And I did that with every single newsroom from, you know, Calgary to Red Deer to Edmonton to Lloydminster, Saskatoon, Regina, Prince Albert, Dauphin, Manitoba. I spent time at all of them. And it made all the difference because I created personal connections. It's not what you say to people, it's how you make them feel. And you can only make them feel when you're in the same room as them. And that was the change maker for me. And I think that's such tangible advice for anyone at any stage of their career or Mm -hmm. at any stage of their life when they're trying to figure out that next step is meet people, talk to people, connect with people. You don't know who's on the other end of that like LinkedIn profile, right? It's the essence of being a human being, Victoria. We all crave human connections. But what do those connections look like? And how do you resonate with people? And how do you make yourself memorable? You don't do it through an email. You may make an impression through an email. And you may get one and go, geez, that person's a good writer. Or, ooh, I like their style. But until that you can stand beside someone and hug them or shake their hand, it's different. That's where the change happens and the magic happens. Yeah. So you referred to those three things as variables. Mm-hmm. I would refer to them as values. And to me, what struck me in, in your, your story is that you seem very values driven in a lot of yeah. the major decisions that you make. So how have your values shown up at different stages of critical decisions in your life? They're the, at the heart of every single decision I've ever made. So if you look at that road trip, going back to your question about, about the why in that is because I was raised to make personal connections with people lived in a household with 12 people, you connect with your family members, you respect one another, you give people the gift of time, you allow them to get to know you. So that's why I took that road trip. But when I chose Yorkton, Saskatchewan, it was because of the people and the person who interviewed me and what the position had to offer me. And more than anything, my ability to grow and and develop and and that was the place that offered me the most another another example is actually my first job offer was where i did my internship at abc news in lubbock texas after i finished they said we want to hire you and i was intrigued with the american market because the americans do news very differently than the canadians do news and that's why i went there initially was because i wanted to test the market But they said to me, Carrie, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in Lubbock, Texas, because all y'all can't talk like that down here. We all don't understand what you're saying. They wanted me to pick up a draw. And I said, my values where I valued my, my, my neutrality and my, and the way that I spoke, I was from Canada. I wanted to honor that. And I, there's no way I would ever change that to fit in. I need to honor who I was and what I brought to the table. And then, you know, you look at down the road, why I left CTV news that was all based on my values. It was family is number one to me. My children are number one. Yes. I loved my career and I lived a dream and got paid for a hobby 
body for years. But in my heart, I my children were my number one value and they were growing up without me and I couldn't do it anymore. And I think it's important for people to realize your values shift over time because yes. you're not the same person you were when you were 18 versus where you are now. Like we all change. And so what you want will change as well based on your values. That's so important that you say that. Cause if I look back to the early days of my career in journalism, I used to work an easy 12 hours a day yeah. because my number one value was my career and my job. And I was married to it and I was going to give it everything I had until this gentleman by the name of Stephen Petaskey waltzes into my life. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to marry this man. And then once I got married, my marriage was my number one value. So they shift and they have to, they have to, because we all grow and change over time. So you would CTV Edmonton for 14 years. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. And you went through major life changes during that time. You had kids, oh you became a parent. Like that's huge. <laughs> There's nothing like being pregnant on the air. Let me tell you that. I mean, the camera as it is adds 15 pounds. Now imagine adding a baby into that mix and broadcasting yeah. every night when you don't feel like it, yeah. when your body is changing, when you feel ill, when you have nausea. I mean, there was so much going on. And if we go back, we're going to go back now some 20 years. I'm dating myself, but that's fine. That was a day and age where I would get emails and go, Carrie, like you're fat. People would tell me that, like, why are you wearing all this A-line clothing? I'd say, well, you know, they say it's, it's showing off your gut. I'm like, yeah, there's a baby in my gut. And yeah. They're like, oh, you're pregnant. I didn't know. I'm like, yes, I'm eight months pregnant. So yeah. in today's day and age, what I love is when you're criticized on social media, you just retweet that stuff and you share yeah. it with the world because you know that your people will be there for you. Yeah. Back then, there wasn't Twitter. And yeah, you have to what do you do? It. Yeah, you get these nasty emails. And what do you do with that? Yeah. Right? And it was tough. It was yeah. really tough. But I, but I learned a lot of important lessons along the way. And um, I'll never forget, and I'll tell you this, the most difficult email I ever got was after I had Allegra, my daughter, so Kasha's my son who's 12, Allegra's nine, I was on maternity leave and I looked at it as a, a good time to lose the baby weight. And so I did that, but I also had to get braces put back on my teeth because my teeth had shifted and I had this, um, I, I was missing a tooth, so I had to get an implant in my mouth and all the rest of it. I thought, I have a year, I'm gonna get all this done. Well, I didn't quite, I decided to put clear braces on my teeth, not Invisalign, but the clear mm -hmm. brackets, but they weren't quite finished by the time I went back on air. So I went back on air, I'd lost all my weight. So my face was a bit sunk in, my hair had grown out and I had braces. So my lips were, were pushed out. Yeah. The first email I got was from a father that said, I cannot believe the amount of plastic surgery that you've had done to your face. You used to be an inspiration and a role model to my daughter and all of her friends, and we will never, ever watch you again. And I cried. I was like, I have not done anything to myself except try to fix my teeth because they'd shifted and I lost my baby weight because I felt yeah. it was time. And that was the criticism. And, you know, I, uh, I kept that email. I still have that to today, Victoria. I wow. do because it reminds me that to know who you are and I knew yeah. who I was and I knew uh, the values that I brought to the table and I wasn't going to let that guy bring me down. Yeah. I share and that I story a lot. I think it's important to remember, like, I think it's really interesting that you keep that, but you use it in a way that empowers you. Because yes. it's not that these things will not hurt us in the moment. They mm -hmm. do. They are painful. Yeah. But how you use that as part of your story going forward. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Yes.
you talked in your podcast about um, how motherhood didn't necessarily come naturally oh. to you. And I so, I think I was actually slightly tearing up in the car <laughs> as I was listening to it because I was like, me too. Me really too. Really can relate. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, my son had colic and uh, postpartum and all those things. And I just felt mm. like I couldn't hack it as a mom and I wasn't great at it. What was what was your experience with it? Mine was a little bit different where I never wanted kids. Yeah. I was married to my career my whole life. And especially being the baby of 10, I didn't have any brothers and sisters to look after. So I was very selfish. I just focused on me all the time. So there I was in this career and I'm climbing the ladder and I'm loving it, having the time of my life. And kids never came onto my radar. I just wanted to live and breathe and work on my dream, which was my career and my job. And when Steven, my husband came onto the scene, he said to me, um, like, what's life without kids? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, just think of when you're 50, like, what are you going to do? How much more traveling and what's going to fulfill you? What's going to fill your bucket and what's going to be a reflection of your values. And it really got me thinking. And something else is I visited a friend who didn't have kids. They weren't able to, and my heart bled for them and they decided not to go the adoption route but i was there at their house one year on christmas eve and they had this beautiful house with this white carpet and it had like vacuum marks on the carpet because it was so perfect and pristine and there was nothing out of place and i remember sitting there drinking this perfect wine in this perfect house with perfect everything and i thought what, this is broken, what's missing? And what was missing was the Christmases I grew up with. Yeah. Noise and kids everywhere and mess and and like toys, not a lot of them because we, we didn't have the financial wherewithal to afford, but it being together and being with people and the house seemed cold and empty without the kids and all of a sudden it was like, no, my husband's right, I have to do this. So I decided to have kids, but like you, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I didn't feel like a natural mom. I didn't. I, th I thought, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And then add to that, I too suffered from postpartum depression, but I wouldn't admit it to myself at the time because back then vulnerability wasn't seen as being courageous. It was seen as being weak, or maybe yeah. that's just the way I processed it. So I remember getting up with my baby in my arms, still in my pajamas, hearing the music play to our newscast for the Noon Hour News and running out there with cash in my arms. And I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. My skin was all broken up. My hair was a mess. And there was beautiful cash in my arms. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I yeah. doing? Like the focus has to be on him now. I have to start taking care of him and me and stop worrying about the other stuff. My career is there, but what's in front of me, what matters most is right in front of me. Yeah. And so um, I tried to shift my focus, but it wasn't easy. I used to call my sisters and I used to put the phone on mute and I would just bawl. And they would say to me, are you okay, Carrie? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then I muted again and I would cry. And finally, my sister from Calgary came up to Edmonton and uh, she said it was like Fort Knox, our house, because all the blinds were closed <laughs> and I was never going out because I was so afraid. She opened everything up and let the sun in and, and took Kasha for a while and just said, go shower, go shower and go have a nap. And that shower and nap felt like I was on vacation for two weeks. Yeah. And it made me kind of see the light. Yeah. And it was like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to not know what you're doing. 
it's okay not to be okay as long as you talk to someone about it. And I finally told my sister, I'm not okay. And she didn't judge me. Yeah. It was like, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. And uh, that lasted for about six months. Mm-hmm. And then baby number two is completely different. But it feels cathartic to talk about it now because I, I hit it for so many years. Yeah. And I want other moms and women out there to know that it's completely normal because my god do our hormones take a beating when we're pregnant and when we have baby i mean how can you not have to deal with some of these things when everything is all over the map i mean your body changes so much and just acknowledging it and talking about it is powerful so for any of women that are listening if you're going through this it's okay just reach out to someone and share how you're feeling yeah Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, I'm going to take a really quick break to tell you about our Stress Less in 90 Days group coaching program. Because you guys, our second cohort and the only one that we're doing in 2020 launches on January 20th. It is the only one in 2020 because my co-creator and co-coach Amy Stubbs is going off to have a baby. So when I say once in 2020, I mean it. Now, stress in our busy society, like it is, we all feel it these days. You say, I'm busy, but I'll take on another project, but I don't have time to hang out with friends. But yes, I'll drink more coffee and I'll have more sugar, but I don't have time to work out. If my boss wasn't such a jerk, I'd be happier, but I'll only stay in this job until I get my bonus. Like these are all things that we've said, right? And we also often look around at others and think they seem to be handling stress way better than I am. But I can tell you that that is not true. (laughs) What you see is not necessarily what you get. But the stress of our daily lives is too much. It's a lot. The World Health Organization has actually stated that stress is the health epidemic of the 21st century. And that sounds scary, but it doesn't have to be. So Amy and I have developed Stress Less in 90 Days. It is a program designed to get you back in the driver's seat of your relationship to stress. So as I mentioned, this is cohort number two. So the women that went through the first cohort, they found that once they began applying these strategies, they began to feel more confident, more empowered. They had more energy for what mattered most to them, whatever that was in their lives. And their head started to feel spacious instead of like a dang hamster wheel. The change that these women saw was absolutely incredible and you can experience that as well. So just a quick rundown of like what's included in this group coaching program. It's a 12 week program. You've got lifetime access to the video content, the downloads, the meditations, everything that's in there. There's an accompanying journal, which all the ladies said, like that's where the real, real magic happened. We do a number of Zoom calls, like group coaching calls, so that you can hone in on your specific stressors. You've got like direct access to Amy or myself. And there's also access to a private Facebook group where we do weekly Facebook Lives. We share lots of tips and extra resources. And that's where you really connect with the other women in the program. Honestly, Amy and I created what we wish we had when we were uh, struggling from our own stressors. So I, you know, you, if you've been following the podcast, you know that I dealt with so much stress around burnout related to my job. Amy came from a really toxic relationship and the, the stress that that brought to her life. And here's the thing, 
we know that these strategies work. These are the exact same strategies that we imply, apply in our one-on-one -on -one coaching in a group format. And here's the last thing that I'll say. The American Psychological Association say that when you have someone that you're accountable to, you're between 50 and 95% more likely to achieve your goal. So if you want 2020 to be the year you stress less, the year you feel more calm, the year you feel more in control of your life, this is the time to join some like-minded ladies in significantly decreasing your stress. So the link for where to sign up for that is in the show notes today, but you can also go to stresslessladies.com forward slash coaching and click on the group coaching option. Yes, everything is in the show notes for today. So I hope to see you there. I hope this is the year that you choose to stress less, have more energy and boost your joy. Back to the interview. It didn't quite stop there, right? Because you have these two beautiful children. You love them so much. You have, you know, family is the value. Yeah. But it conflicts with this job that mm -hmm. you're on the air at 6 p.m. every night. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've got small kids. I totally understand you barely have time with them in the morning because you're getting them out the door to day home or daycare or school or whatever it is. You have a short window in the evening before they go to bed. How was that for you? Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. But it wasn't just like the work started when I left the house. Work started the moment I opened my eyes because the reality of reading a six o'clock news is you've got to be plugged into current events at all times. So I would get up in the morning, no word of the lie, I'd take my phone and I'd be on the toilet looking at Twitter because that's when I started to look at the headlines. And I'm like, okay, what's making news today? What do I need to know about? Because there were many times that I'm reading the news and there's breaking news and I don't have any scripts. Mm -hmm. And you either know it or you don't. And you have to know it all the time. Time. It's your responsibility when you sit in that chair. So I would be getting ready and I had my phone and I was never present for my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my day would start at 6 a.m. when I would wake up or even before and I go and I'd work out and then I wasn't giving them time. Even when I was at home with them in the morning, I wasn't present. And then I'm having to leave earlier because I have to go and pick up my wardrobe for the week. And then I have to get my hair done and my makeup done. I have to be camera ready. But as I'm walking out the door, I'm peeling my children off my legs and they're like, mommy, please, please. And I would leave and drive to work. Thank God it was actually a 25 minute drive with a broken heart. And it took me just that time to decompress before I walked into the station. And it, my heart hurt all the time. And it hurt even worse when I would come home. I'd usually walk in the door at eight o'clock at night. And my son would just be sitting up waiting for me in bed, just waiting for a good night kiss. Cause that's all I could give him. That's all yeah. the time I had. And it was awful. So um, my daughter would be asleep and my son would get his, his um, bedtime kiss, but he was the straw that broke the camel's back. He made me yeah. see the light. And it was one night when I got home and I kissed him and I raced downstairs to make lunches as I normally did. And he came and sat on the stairs and he said, mommy, can I talk to you? And I said, buddy, it's late. You better go to bed because you're going to be tired. And he goes, but mommy, I have so many things I need to tell you and I never get to see you never get and I went and I sat beside him and the stories just came pouring out of him he talked about his friends and he talked about his teachers and he talked about what was doing in school and I knew nothing I didn't know any of it because I wasn't present for it and I couldn't be present for it and my thought at that moment was I'm gonna blink and he's gonna be in grade seven and I will have missed all of it and guess what Victoria I blinked because he is now in grade seven yeah but back then I made the choice. And when he said that I, in my heart, I said, I'm done. 
I have had a brilliant career, but it's time for me to move on and work hours at work for my family. And that's what I did. A values-driven decision. You got it. Yeah. So, and you've, you've since gone on to do a number of different things. You Mm -hmm. work with your husband with the Luxus group. That's correct. correct? And you have a Carrie Doll Consulting and do public Mm -hmm. speaking uh, consulting and co- and courses and all that kind of stuff. Yes, so, yes. um, I know women hate this question. I know I hate, hate this question. And yet I think it's managing, how do you make it work for you? I work hours that work for my family and I, I'm, I'm a planner. I'm, I'm, I plan in advance, and so I look at the weeks ahead of time and what I need to do to make it all work. It doesn't always work. I'm not always successful at it, but my heart is so much more happy now, and it's calm with schedules that I can get my son to soccer with, that I can get my daughter to gymnastics with. There's give and take with everything, and it just comes down to really smart planning and saying, what can I do here? Where can I be most effective? How early do I have to get up to be part, to be present during the day? Today, I was part of the 4 a.m. club. I'm okay with that. You know, you only need sometimes six um, Crusadian rhythms in order to get the sleep you need. But I planned for that because I also, there's two things I know about myself. And one is exercise is an enormous part of my day and I won't compromise it for anything. So if I have to get up at 4 a.m. to hit the 515 Orange Theory, I will do that. Yeah. And then I just make sure I go to bed earlier at night. So planning is the key to making it all work. Planning with yeah. my husband to coordinating with his schedule and then to listening to your intuition. What makes me happiest? Yeah. What is it that I really want to do? Where do I get the most growth? I love, you know, working with groups and public speaking coaching. I love going in and giving workshops because if when I hear one woman tell me, and it happens in every workshop I give, they say to me, I'm not worthy. And when I hear those words, that adds fuel to my fire of why I need to get my message out there and why I need to work with these women to help them discover that they are worthy, to help them discover their voice and help them tell their story. And I, I think that's incredible. You say, you say planning is the key to everything mm-hmm. kind of working out. And yet there are times when our lives go by the wayside and go yeah. not as we had planned. And 2017 was such a year oh. for you. You talk about having lost four body parts mm-hmm. as well as having lost <laughs> your mom that year. Like what, give our listeners a sense of what you went through that year. Yeah, without a doubt, thank you for asking the the worst year of my life, I will say that. And I pride myself on being that that person with the glass always half full. And I've always lived that way because I do believe one of the mantras that I live by is that you can create your own reality. And I've taken very specific steps in my life to create what I want. And I've made choices to create what I want. So all of a sudden, life just kept throwing me one curveball after the next. So it was eight April of 2017, I discovered some abnormal cells in my abdomen and um, I was going through heavy bleeding at that time of the month. And the doctor said, if uh, abnormal cells lead to precancerous cells and you know what happens after that. So I said, let's have a hysterectomy. I had a partial hysterectomy, uh, left my ovaries in, but that was a giant procedure to have to go through. It was done laparoscopically, but giant for me because I couldn't exercise for six weeks and exercise is my drug. 
Yeah. And so I had to do nothing. And that was a huge, it may sound like someone listening going, come on. But for someone who it's lives your mental health by it, it is, it, yeah. it is my, it makes me feel balanced every single day. So that was the first and then during the summer, I was out wake surfing and had a freak accident where um, usually, so wake surfing, I'm behind a boat and uh, it's like you're surfing on a wave. Usually I would throw the rope because the momentum of the wave carries you. This particular time, the water was choppy. I was holding the rope exactly how I should have been, but I caught an edge and the rope, when a rope slacks, it loops. And I, I lunged forward and the loop closed on the end of my thumb and amputated it on the spot. So it amputated at the first knuckle. And uh, that was traumatic to go through. I know it sounds like a minor thing, no. but I'm a pianist. I've played the piano for my entire life. I'm a golfer. And all of a sudden I'm taken to the hospital and I have a clean amputation on my thumb. And you know what the surgeon said to me? The first thing he said to me is, do you have any idea how lucky you are? You don't and feel there's lucky. that glass half full. And I said, I don't feel very lucky right now. He goes, you know, an accident of this magnitude generally amputates the whole thumb, if not the whole hand or arm. And he goes, the fact that it just yanked off the end of your thumb, he said, you are so lucky. And I'm like, I get it. Cause I still have some dexterity. I can't do up um, necklaces or anything anymore, mm -hmm. but I get my kids to do that. But I'm back to playing the piano. I'm back to golfing. I do almost everything. There's a few things that give me pain here and there, but so that was the next thing. And then shortly thereafter, uh, that was in August and at the beginning of September, my mother, who is my best friend, was diagnosed with cancer and passed away six weeks later. And I lost my best friend in the world. And it was brutal to go through. It broke me. Like for the first time in my life, I could say I was broken and I was broken for months after and I cried a lot and I stayed at home a lot and I didn't do any events and I didn't want to leave the house and I just didn't know how to process that loss until it was my mom who put me on the path that I am today with the podcast because uh, she always taught me to listen to my intuition and to in listen to that inner voice. And I remember being on a beach in Costa Rica in January, so some four months after she passed, and my heart was still aching. And I kept looking up and the sun was setting and I'm like, what do I need to do with my life? And I could hear my mother's voice. She used to call me Tootsie as a nickname or Toots. And she said, Tootsie, you know exactly where you need to be. She said, uh, you need to follow your love, your first love. And the first love for me was always the interview. There's nothing that I got more pleasure on for the years of uh, broadcasting than being on the receiving end of a beautiful interview. Beautiful or not, just having someone trust you with their story is a massive gift and a massive responsibility. And that's where the idea for my podcast was born. So I followed my heart and my intuition and my mother's advice that I heard in my heart. And I haven't looked back since. So was it, was it purely that experience or had you been doing some other things to recover? Cause I mean, to me, when I, when I hear it, it sounds to me like PT, like, I don't know how I wouldn't have PTSD going through what you went through. Such a great question. Things? Great, great question, Victoria. And no, I suppressed it. Um, and do you know when I discovered that I had PTSD is I was interviewing a fellow by the name of Paul. He's a firefighter here in Edmonton. And he has created a program called Mental Health First Aid. 
and it's for all first responders now have to take that course before they start on the job and it's to help them deal and recognize the signs of PTSD and as he started to talk about it I was like oh my gosh I have that symptom oh my god that that's happening to me and the more he talked about it the more I realized it and after I shut off the mic I said Paul I need to confide in you about something I said I think I'm battling PTSD and he goes, what do you mean? I said, from the loss of my thumb, I'm, I'm having all these symptoms, but I didn't know that's what it is. And he said, oh yeah, those are classic symptoms of PTSD, but still Victoria, I didn't do anything about it. It was in the summertime that um, uh, an unusual set of circumstances led me to go and have acupuncture done. And when I got onto the table, I'd never had acupuncture in my life. It was an hour and a half session. It was supposed to be deep tissue massage. And the therapist said to me, she was feeling around in my body. She goes, have you ever had acupuncture? And I said, no. And she said, would you be open to it? And I said, yes, of course. And she goes, everybody reacts in different ways. And she said, some people have no reaction. Some people um, feel all different types of experiences. Some people get sad. Some people cry. She goes, all I ask is you keep an open mind. I said, okay. And I got on that table. And at first I started to bite my, I could feel the emotions coming on and Victoria, I sobbed like a baby. I cried so hard. It was wet underneath the table. And I kept saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And she held space for me. She just kept saying, just let it out, let it out. And all I kept saying was, I miss my mom. I miss my mom. And then the thumb and all of these things just came pouring out of me. And I have a dear friend, um, that I went to see right afterward. And she said to me, you look like you've been crying. And I said, I was, she goes, I thought you had a deep tissue massage. I said, I was supposed to. And she it goes, well, what than happened? I thought, yeah. Right. And I said, I had acupuncture and she's like, Oh, you did the tough work. Yeah. And she looked at me and she didn't want to say, she goes, Carrie, this is where the healing starts. Yeah. You have to start to recognize what you're going through and hold space for your feelings. And that was, it took me a year yeah. to finally come to terms with the fact that I had PTSD and that I had to deal with these symptoms. Yeah. And uh, that's where the healing began for me. What kind of resources um, would you recommend for people who are going through PTSD? Well, I think the first thing is, is, is first of all, just writing down what you're feeling yeah. and recognizing there's nothing wrong with you, but that you're dealing with all sorts of feelings. And once you see them on paper, it's like, okay, this, this might not be normal. And then to reach out to people you trust and confide in them. And I mean, if it's a psychologist that you need to see or a psychiatrist, the bottom line is this, going to seek help is a sign of strength not weakness. I got a lot of advice from my guests that I interviewed because so many of them had suffered from mental health issues or from PTSD and they shared their journey with me. And when they did, it helped me heal and helped me recognize what, what resources are out there. But talking about it is the number one thing, confiding in someone that you trust and realizing that that vulnerability is courage, not weakness. And that's where it started with me because I always say vulnerability and I aren't the best of friends but we're friends and we never used to be friends before but just admitting to myself that something was wrong was the first step and the second step was recognizing my symptoms and then going for treatments uh, psychologist talking to someone about it I talked to a psychologist about the loss of my mom at length 
And then I also went for a number of treatment of acupuncture and I still go because I saw benefits from it. And also just holding space for my feelings. Some days when I just don't want to do anything, I give myself permission to just be. And one more thing that I found very cathartic was relying on things that um, bring you peace. And I was raised Catholic and I always used to go to church with my mom and dad, especially my mom. And so I find peace going and sitting in church, but I do it on my own terms. I go on weekdays. So if I sit in the back of the church and cry my eyes out during a whole service, it's okay. It's okay. At first it was really tough, but now it's okay. And that's my mom's birthday is coming up on November 30th. And that's probably what I'm going to do. I do it every year yeah. and the feelings still come up. And I just, I allow them to come out and I hold space for them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because listening to a lot of your podcast interviews, like you're saying, people get very vulnerable and they're sharing mental health struggles and sexual assault and all these uh, very challenging things that people have been through as well as their successes, obviously. Mm-hmm. What is that like to hold space for people who have been through such severe traumas? When I'm interviewing them during the podcast, I can't help but to, um, and you know what, I'm going to call this a strength. I I wasn't your so-called traditional, like years, things have changed a lot over the years. But when someone told, when there was a really sad story on the air, like the one that comes to mind is a Sandy Hook shooting, where those elementary students were shot. I couldn't finish my sentence. I had to start the newscast that night and I got so choked up and I had tears in my eyes that my co-anchor Daryl saw it. And it was like, we had this nonverbal communication and he would take over for me. Today, when I'm podcasting and I'm talking about it, uh, I will cry with my guests. I can't help it because I can feel what they're feeling. And it, in that way, it gives them permission to, to feel. And, and it's not like I'm absorbing the negativity, but I'm working through emotions. And I see yeah. it as cathartic to be able yeah. to explore that and to let it go. Because they have their own crosses to bear just like I do. But more than anything, it's just that constant conversation and keeping those lines of communication open. I've learned so much through the people that I've had the gift of interviewing them and they're sharing their stories. One in particular comes to mind and it just popped into was a gentleman whose wife um, uh, suffered death by suicide. She was going through menopause. And um, the doctors kept treating her menopause, but what they failed to realize was that the heart of her issues was depression. And they kept overlooking it and overlooking it. And she was so severely depressed that she couldn't deal. And that's eventually what led her to take her own life. And the husband told me if I just would have known that depression and menopause often go hand in hand and women don't recognize those symptoms. So I've told so many women that story and they're so grateful. So although it was difficult to hear, it's empowering to hear at the same time. And then I can take those stories and empower the masses. And that's what I do. And it's healing. Yeah. I, obviously the example that you shared of PTSD and, and first aid, but what's the biggest lesson you've learned from a guest for, that has applied to your own life? Is I think that it's the power of vulnerability, that vulnerability equals courage. Because at my podcast table, there's some, I just call it magic happens. And what everybody has taught me is that if they can go there, 
I can go there. And I used to be so afraid of showing those feelings because on television for years, I wasn't allowed to show emotion. I wasn't supposed to show any sort of um, bias towards anything, but I allowed myself to feel on the stories that I knew my audience felt with me because I couldn't control it. But now my biggest lessons is that vulnerability is courage because the courage that each guest shows up with every time I have a podcast with different people empowers me and it helps me go forward in life and knowing that to communicate those messages, to take the mask off, to yeah. just honor who we truly are, to take the damn filters off everything we do. I have issues with filters mm -hmm. on social media. You'll never see me use them. And if I do use them for like fun, you'll hear me say that there's a filter on this, yeah. but yes, it's, it's honoring authenticity and honoring vulnerability. Yeah. Oh, Carrie, there are so many things I could ask you, but I'm, I'm <laughs> conscious of time, but I, I highly recommend that people check out your podcast. Where can people you. find you bef before we move into our sort of final five and a couple rapid fires I have for you? Where okay. can people find you for public speaking, for the Lexus group, for the podcast? So everything um, with my courses and my podcast, just go to my website, Carrie Doll, and that's D-O-L-L. -L, and it is my maiden name, and it always has been spelled that way. So CarrieDoll.co, you'll find information on my podcast, on my courses. My podcast, The Inner Circle with Carrie Doll, is available on all platforms. And then my company uh, with my husband, it's his company, I'm going to say that, is The Luxus Group. That's L-U-X-U-S, Luxus Group group.com yes yeah. that's great and it's luxury holiday rentals is that correct not rentals it's rentals. fractional or fractional ownership so it's an oh. investment yes it's like timeshares not timeshare no. you're actually an owner of every it's complicated but yeah. thank you for asking um yeah it is fractional ownership of vacation properties around the world so it's a registered investment is what we do oh wow group yes and, and for anyone interested on social media on instagram i am carrie doll consulting Come follow me. I always share great stories of the podcast that I have the privilege of sharing. Absolutely. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. I have a couple Thank rapid you. fires about okay. interviews. Um, who's the favorite interview that you've done to date, whether it's CTV, whether in your podcast? <laughs> I know it's hard to pick a favorite. Oh, okay. I'm going to do two, two very different ones. One career highlight was interviewing former president Bill Clinton because it was in front of a crowd of 10,000 people. And it was the ultimate challenge of my life. And it uh, caused me to overcome some, you know, some fears and dig deep for courage and believe that I could do it. And a recent one, I mean, it's hard to ever pick a favorite, but uh, uh, Glory Meldrum was one that will forever stick in my mind because yeah. she's the founder of Little Warriors. Mm -hmm. She was sexually abused as a child she talks in the most vulnerable way about it and she's created so much change in our world and a safe place for kids who are sexually abused to go to so she is she is the change that you want to see in the world and it, she showed up in a way that I've never seen when I interviewed her so she is an episode you will need your Kleenex for yes. but you will leave empowered and inspired yes. yeah mm -hmm. what is who's on the top of your dream interview list 
Oh my gosh. My dream interview list. I, I did one last a few weeks ago. I got to interview Lisa Laflamme from CTV News. Oh. So we sat down in the national newsroom, but at the top of my list, hands down, um, there's there's two of them would be Michelle Obama and the second one would be Katie Couric. Katie oh. Couric, just because she's a former journalist and she's done so much living and I admire her integrity and everything that she's accomplished and being you know, one of the first women in the United States to be at the helm of a national newscast. So she's accomplished a lot. And Michelle, if you've read her book, mm -hmm. I mean, Becoming, that's uh, one of my all-time favorites. That's a must-read in my my opinion. Yeah. Uh, well, you've already mentioned one, but who are some of your favorite journalists or news anchors? Who should we be following? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my favorite, uh, Lisa Laflamme, because yeah. she just drips credibility, but she doesn't do much on social media. Yeah. I mean, she's just not really out there. I can't say there's a lot of journalists that I follow religiously. I mean, there's, there's local ones in Edmonton yeah. that I will still look to, but national and yeah, I get my news all over the place now. It's yeah. just the world is just so different so it's yeah. hard to say that there's one go-to person all the time yeah okay well the final five questions we ask all of our guests the first okay. you may have mentioned some of them already but what are some of the things or the projects that get you fired up in a good way a project that gets me fired up in a good way is when I am invited out to speak on a stage because I like to dig into the company that I'm dealing with, what their challenges are. And the biggest part about that is I love to empower people on how to tell their story. Not enough people are embracing the power of story. And when I teach, I say public speaking and storytelling are one of the same. The words public speaking are often a mental block, but if you think of it that you're telling your story, it's a much different feeling. And your stage really is all around you this is our stage right now Victoria yeah. we're in a po you know podcast setting when you're in conversation that's your stage when you're at a PTA meeting that's your stage embrace the stage tell the story that gets me fired up when I can educate people and change the way they think about public speaking well given that it's one of the top fears people have they really mm -hmm. need to check out your course thank you what I think you've mentioned it most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years uh, Michelle Obama's becoming yep. because she was so vulnerable so and this is one line that I will quote from her in her book when she talks about when Barack went and and sought out the Democratic um, nomination she's like this was not my dream I did not dream of a life in politics she was a lawyer by trade she goes but I decided to support him in his dream. And we went on that path together. But how vulnerable of someone, a two-term first lady, to like admit full out, I didn't want this. Mm -hmm. Like that is honoring who you are. That's honoring your values. So that was so empowering to me. A great read. And the last paragraph, you got to read it in her book. The last one of the last things she says is share your story. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What are the things that typically stress you out and how do you manage your stress? Things that stress me out uh, can be conflict because um, especially if it's conflict within my own team or people I work with uh, is, is navigating that type of conflict and knowing, finding a respectful way to use my voice in that conflict and, and just navigating it can be tricky for me. So I really have to remove myself from a situation and think, okay, if I feel like I'm getting ripped off or if I feel like someone is abusing my kindness or those feelings, how do I navigate them? How do I communicate them? And I often yeah. have to take a step away. I can't react in the moment and yeah. it stresses me out. Yeah. Yeah. And you use fitness as a managing oh. daily sort of stressors and yeah. 
Two drugs I rely heavily on, one is exercise, the other is the sun. Sometimes the sun in the winter can be difficult to come by. So I do take a lot of, not a lot, I try to take at least one warm holiday in the winter yeah. just to get that dose of vitamin E because both make me feel normal. Yeah. Yep. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? Uh, well, there's two that you've heard me say it a couple of times during this podcast. And I learned uh, probably when I was 16 and I believe it was Dr. Wayne Dyer who said, you can create your own reality. And I remember hearing that and I was thinking, wow, really? You can? And you can because it all comes down to the choices you're making. So if something is not going well in your life, like when I was in broadcasting and my heart hurt every day, create something new choose, make a different choice. And you have the power to choose every single day. You can create the life you want. It comes down to the choices. That's number one. And the other thing is manifesting your dreams. You know, I go back to, I'm Bianca Andreescu, you know, tennis star who beat the greatest tennis player in the world. She manifested so much of what she wanted in, in life. And it's to say it out loud. And I do it all the time. And I'll go back to when I lived in Calgary, when I would go and I was going to say, I had to drive by CTV Calgary every single day in my beat up little car on my way to school. And I would look up at Broadcast Hill and say out loud, I will work there one day. And I did. I worked in Calgary, read the five o'clock news with Ian White for a year. I filled in for Barb Higgins while she was on a sabbatical. I did work there. So with the things that we want, manifest them. That's yeah. what Bianca did. She manifested that win. That's what I did when I wanted that job. I said, I will do that one day. Say it out loud and watch what happens yeah. and don't give up on it. It's interesting what you said about like, we can have what we want. It comes down to choices because both you and Michelle Obama have said the exact same thing about those choices aren't necessarily easy. They're not necessarily uh -uh. what you want, but, and I think people confuse that sometimes with that. It, if it's the right thing, it's an easy choice. That's not always the case. No, a lot of times it's the most difficult choice. Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's the fact that you have a choice, like you can yeah. choose and you can change any situation if you just choose differently. And when you really wrap your head around that way of thinking, isn't it powerful? Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, what? I can choose? Yeah, we all can. And yeah. that is crazy powerful to me. Yeah. So Carrie, the final question is, what does it mean to you to live your best life? Living your best life is honoring uh, your values and what is in your soul. And what I mean by that, your soul and your heart is, what do you love? What do you really, really love? And if you're not doing what you love, then why aren't you doing it? I can tell you that I have changed my career, but I'm still doing what I love. And it was because reflecting on what's important to me, what are my values, and then manifesting it in a different way. For years, it was journalism. Now it's um, grown into a podcast, but I'm still honoring my values and doing what I love. And if you're not doing what you love, my question to you is simply this, why not? I love it. Why well, not? thank you so much, Carrie, for sharing your story, for being vulnerable <laughs> and I highly recommend everyone check out your podcast. It's, uh, it, it's very powerful. Victoria, you are a gift and you're a great interviewer. So thank you for this beautiful conversation and for holding space for me today. I truly enjoyed it.
So huge thank you to Carrie for sharing her experience. She is such an incredible, inspiring human being, which is why I wanted her as the very first episode for the year. I knew that you would all feel really motivated by her story. Uh, and I hope that you go and check out her podcast. So like I said, girl, if you go to girltrieslife.com, forward slash podcast dash 140. That's where you'll find all the links to everything that Carrie's up to. Uh, I would encourage you to check it out. And just one last shout out that Stressless in 90 Days group coaching closes on January 20th. So if you want this to be the year that you stress less, you have more energy and you boost the overall joy in your life, make it this year, make it now. If you have any questions, you can always email me victoria at stresslessladies.com or connect with me on Instagram at stresslessladies so that we can talk about what your concerns are and see if this is the right fit for you. I'm honestly, this is, I'm so unbelievably proud of this program. I'm proud of the women that have gone through it with us already and the change that they've seen. So I hope to see you there. Have a fantastic week and we will see you next time.